Hey, this is Taylor and you are listening to another message from Elevate Retake. Welcome back. We are continuing on in our sermon series, Rethinking Church. And this week, Pastor Michael's sermon was the state of the dead and the living. A key text we will be looking at is found in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9 through 11. And it reads, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Your engaged question as you listen to this message is, what is the most important way to prepare for Jesus to come? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to dive into scripture, see what scripture has to say about being ready for Jesus to come. And we can take Slido back off the screen because when it comes to the end times, right, maybe we have questions. We can think back to those experiential questions that when did you first hear about the end time and were you young, old, or in between? And predominantly for this group, we were very young when we heard about Jesus' return. We've answered the question about how that made us feel. And then our questions maybe can turn to the idea of theology, right? How can you know what is going to happen? Maybe this question, what do you want to see happen? Who wins? What happens when we die? What's next? What's in store? And then those questions about preparations. Are you ready for Jesus to come? And quite frankly, what does it mean to be ready? How can we prepare ourselves for the end? That's where we turn to our question of import this morning. What's the most important way to prepare for Jesus to come. Because I think scripture is clear. If Jesus told several parables about it, if he's saying, my people, I'm coming back for you, there's this concept that we must prepare in some way, but what does that preparation look like? And it's the 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse, verse 13 through 5, verse 11, that we turn today to see if we can find an answer to this question. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me there. You're probably there already. It'll be up on the screen. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Whatever you've got in front of you is just fine. Whether you're watching online, listening later on the podcast, finding this on YouTube. Did you guys know we had a YouTube channel that you could go find the messages afterwards? We're getting like one or two views afterwards. So, you know, if anybody wants to help us out in that metric, we'd, we'd love it. But that aside, here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And before we read it, I was debating on, do we put these passages of Scripture together? Because some of you already know where maybe the sermon is heading and where this text is heading. Because this text is one of the premier texts for Seventh-day Adventists. But we're maybe going to take a different look at it today. Because both this section and the section to come that we're going to look at, Paul uses kind of a four-tier structure. And he first presents a problem that he's going to address. He then shares either hope or a vision of what's to come, and there's a call and how we should respond. So that's how today is going to be structured. We'll look at the first section, problem, hope, vision, call. And then the next section, when we get to chapter 5, problem, vision, hope, call. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, puts it this way. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have fallen asleep, so you will not grieve like people who have no 
probably already know this verse, right? You're like, hey, we can, we can close it up today. We've got our blessing for today. But there's something that Paul wants us to get out of this text. You see, the Thessalonian community is grieving because Paul had come to town preaching that Jesus' return was imminent and they're coming soon. But then grandma passed away. Great-granddad passed away. There was a tragic accident that took one of the, the young people. The community is grieving because they have experienced loss. And for that Thessalonian community, the second coming was so imminent for them that it was disheartening to watch their community members, their family members, those that they loved, pass away. Jesus should have come already if it was that soon. Paul, I don't quite think you know what the definition of soon is. But here's the thing about death, right? For those of us in the room that maybe we're, we're good Adventists and we're like, yeah, we've got the, the state of the dead down. Head knowledge sometimes isn't enough. Because our, our head knowledge, when it's met with the shock of the emotional reality of losing someone, we have to grapple with the balance. And that's the problem that Paul, Silas, and Timothy address in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. The problem, what is the state of the dead? And how do we grieve? Imagine for a moment in your mind's eye someone that you've lost. I don't know, for some of us, the, the memories are going to flood back. They're going to be a little bit fresher for some of us because maybe, maybe this week, maybe this month, maybe this year, we've lost someone precious to us. But picture in your mind's eye a moment that family member who is now resting peacefully. It's easy to talk about the state of the dead when we don't have someone who's passed away in our mind, but when we're talking about a family member, when we're talking about a friend, it starts to hit personally and deep inside of us. And Paul uses careful word choice here. He doesn't say, because we have hope, there's no need to grieve. He says, no, we don't want you to grieve like people who have no hope. Because the thing is, grief is, is unavoidable. And more so, grief is necessary. It's how we process losing someone in our community, losing someone in our family. It's the road that we must walk in order to sort our lives back together. But as people having hope, how we grieve is different. The assumption is that we grieve with hope. Now, what is that hope? And I'm really glad you asked this morning. Let's look at the next verse because here's the hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again. Do you believe it? We also believe that when Jesus return, returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have fallen asleep in Jesus. It's the blessed hope. It's the, the hope that we'll sing about that's core to our Seventh-day Adventist beliefs that because of what Jesus has done, we have hope that one day all things will be made new. And the Greek passage is so clear here. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are equating death to sleep. Because sleep is something that you can be woken up from. Now, let's be honest, some of us in this room, it's a little bit more difficult to wake us up when we're sleeping. 
Maybe you wrestled with that this morning or wrestled with your, your spouse or your family member to, to get here today. But the point is, is that when someone dies, they're simply sleeping peacefully in the arms of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that's the greatest hope I have as we navigate this world of loss, as we navigate this world of suffering, that one day all things will be made new and our family members and our friends and those in our community who are simply napping in Jesus will one day be woken up. And Paul then pivots. There's this incredible vision that opens up before him. And he's, this is one of the most quoted passages of 1 Thessalonians. And I want you for a moment to, to close your eyes. As I read through this next section of verses to imagine in your mind's eye what this day might be like. Let's go ahead and close your eyes. If you're uncomfortable, that's okay. Let that sanctified imagination flow. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump call, trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. What a day that will be. You can open your eyes again. Think about it though. This grand vision, the world that we dwell in, completely changed and transformed. And those of us that are alive in that day will see graves torn open. The earth will give back to God those who have been buried in its midst. And we will watch as those who we love so dearly are begin to take, be taken up into the clouds. And if we are alive in that day, we will follow them. We will be with the Lord forever. And I think that last line is one that we perhaps glance over in our rich theology and understanding of, of what the second coming of Jesus is all about. Because we can argue back and forth, take scripture and say, okay, what's the state of the dead? Where are people at? For me, I believe those who have died are asleep in Jesus. Jesus will one day wake them up again. But I think the import of this passage and what Paul will make the case, whether we are dead or alive, we will be with the Lord forever. And I think that anywhere with God is better than somewhere without Him. And in that day, we will be able to see God face to face. There's nothing better than that. That person that you pictured a moment ago, awake and alive with a, a healthy body and a vim, vigor and vitality that is compared to none else. Most importantly, we will be together with the Lord forever. So the problem, what about the dead? How do we grieve? The hope, Jesus died and, was, and rose again in the same way our family members who have died, they will rise again as well. And the vision is one day of climactic import that God will come back for his people and the dead will be brought to life and we will join with them to meet God in the air. And now here's the call. 
First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18. In light of everything that's come before, so encourage each other with these words. That's the call. It's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy place before the Thessalonian people. Yeah, here's our understanding of, of where the dead are at and what's to come. Use these words to encourage those around you. The problem, what's up with the dead? The answer, they're asleep. The hope, we have hope in Jesus. Paul, Silas, and Timothy continue on, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, because there's a second problem. We've, we've de- dealt with the dead, but now what's the state of the living? Those who are alive, who, who meet the dead in the air, and, and maybe what's their responsibility? And here's what they write. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we do not really need to write to you. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are not worried about when this event will happen. Their focus is on the inevitability of Jesus' return, not on its predictability. Because we can get distracted about date setting and and say, yeah, yeah, the world's going to end on this date. The world's going to end on this date. Jesus is going to come back on this date. Those who have prophesied before have fallen short and they've had to go along the wayside and hope that nobody remembers that they've prophesied at all. Paul's focus is that Jesus will come back. He will return. It's not a predictable date, but an inevitable date nonetheless. So how then shall the living be responsible in their time of life? Here's the vision. 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter uh, chapter 5, verses 2 through 8. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. First analogy, like a thief in the night. Verse 3. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape, verse 4. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, verse 5. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and night, verse 6. So be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and be clear-headed, verse 7. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, verse 8. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. When it comes down to the end of the day, Paul, Silas, and Timothy use two analogies. One of a thief coming in the middle of the night and the other of a woman who's experiencing labor pains. How do you plan for a thief coming in the middle of the night? Do you know the date that they might be coming? You can make sure the police are informed that, hey, my house is going to be robbed on on this day. No, it's impossible to plan for a thief coming in the middle of the night. But what does it look like to prepare? Maybe it's a camera system. Maybe it's a... Uh, a few boom-boom sticks that you have locked away in a closet somewhere behind a code. You can prepare in many, many different ways. How do you plan for labor? You don't. It comes upon you suddenly. Your preparation is what leads you to be able to make it through and navigate what is to come. And here's the thing. You look at Revelation and, 
and Daniel, and you, you see a, a rise in humanity, that humanity is going to try to take care of itself, that it's going to try to right the wrongs and, and deal with sin on its own. But the only way sin can be dealt with is through the power of Jesus. Paul sees a group of people living in the light, the light of who Jesus is. Oftentimes, the, the, the end times is painted as this kind of really long, drag-out fight that you've got to do a lot of things, and you've got to be really prepared. As Samu put it that well, really well in our podcast last week that when he was talking about this, and he said, often the end times looks like the survival of the fittest. If you've got enough a storehouse of food, uh, if you live off the grid enough, and, 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 and make sure you've got all of your ducks in a row, you're going to be able to make it. But today, Paul's vision is toward a group of people who are reliant solely upon the light of Jesus Christ. That even when the world says peace and safety, the world says this is the way that you should go, get in line in this way. Paul says, no, 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 no. The side who wins, the side that, that makes it through the end is the side that is completely and utterly reliant on me and what I've done for humanity. They're not caught off guard by Jesus' return because they're not planning for it. They're preparing for it. They're walking with Jesus. And here's another interesting thing to, to chew on today as we're, if we're thinking about this topic. Will Jesus' second coming catch us off guard if we live today as if he's already come? And how we treat ourselves and how we treat our community, how we treat our family members. That the second coming of Jesus is so real for us that we walk as if he has already come, whether he's come or not, because we walk with Jesus. These people, though they're alive, aren't asleep. They're alert, they're clear-headed, and they're living in the light of faith, love, and hope. Jesus would tell his disciples in John chapter 16 or 17, the last words that he shares with them. He says, work while there is still light because there are people who need to hear about the goodness of God and about the salvation that comes only from him. Here's the clincher. Paul's seen this vision of this people as he's dealing with the, the problem of the state of the living. And here's the hope that he provides in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. I looked up that word forever in Greek, and it means forever. It's true. You could look it up for yourself as well. Eternity, forever, with God. I think the pursuit of our lives is to be in connection with God. And by the way, there's nothing that will separate us. That we will be with our Savior, we'll be with our Maker, our Creator, the one who formed us and the one who called us. We will be with Him forever. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of the hope of what Jesus has done. And again, I think this is the most overlooked statement of 1 Thessalonians. Maybe the entirety of Scripture. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy knew that it would be as well because they mention it twice. That whether dead or alive, we will be with God forever. 
Anywhere with God is better than somewhere without Him. Dead or alive, we will have hope in Jesus. Dead or alive, we have hope in the resurrecting power of a God who put death to death and said, you have no hold on me. Makes us look differently in our preparation, right? there's, there's, There's a hope that we have to share that we together are in community on this. There's nothing, there's nothing that we can do to get ourselves together. We can go out into the parking lot and jump up as high as we can. That's not going to get us any closer to heaven than any of our good acts that we might do. But what God is looking for is a people who have hope in a Jesus that's done something for us. And that something is a giving of his life so that we could have it in Return, what's the most important way to prepare for the second coming of Jesus? Paul, Silas, and Timothy put it this way, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. In light of everything that's come before, encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. We can argue theology. We can argue ecclesiology, how our church comes together. We can argue whether someone's identity or the way that they've chosen to live life matches with with my worldview. But I think that's all put out and placed aside. Because Paul, Silas, and Timothy knew that there was a hope. They knew that there was a people that needed to know about a Jesus who's coming back. And there were others that needed to do it as well. So in light of Jesus' second coming, encourage each other and build each other up. This is not a time to tear one another down. It's not a time to throw stones at maybe deferring beliefs. No, no, no. Paul says build each other up. Find what we have in common with each other. Focus on what brings us together, not on what divides us or what denies someone's presence to the throne of grace. So today, here's the challenge. In light of Jesus' second coming, the most important way to prepare is to encourage one another. And so I want to leave you with three questions to ask yourself today. And if you're a note taker, this is the time to take those those notes. This is the appeal. This is the the challenge, the charge where we're finishing off today. We're going to finish a little bit early as well to maybe encourage you to put this into practice. Question number one. Who can you encourage today today? with these words. Think about that for a moment. And pull someone into your mind's eye. Who today can you encourage with the words that Paul, Silas, and Timothy have just shared with us in 1 Thessalonians? And number two, what do they need to hear? What words of encouragement does this person that you're picturing in your mind need to hear? And the last question to ponder How can you not only give them encouraging words, but encouraging actions as well? Maybe it's a text message, phone call, bouquet of flowers, cup of coffee, some chocolate, I don't know. Encouraging others makes space for heaven on earth. When we as a community look each other in the eye and encourage each other in our journey, it's as if Jesus has already come. And I know I long for that day just as much as you do. Encouraging others prepares us because we're living the Jesus way. We're choosing to live within the kingdom of God and make heaven something accessible here on this 
earth. So who can you encourage today? What do they need to hear? And how can you transform those words into actions so that they might hold to the hope that you have as well? Thank you so much, Pastor Michael, for that amazing message. I hope that you were blessed as you listened to it. Thank you also for supporting Elevate Retake and all that we do here in this ministry. It is very much appreciated. I encourage you to stay tuned and listen later this week where Pastor Michael will sit down with some young adults in the area and dig a little bit deeper into this message. So stay tuned for another episode of Elevate Retake coming out later this week. Thank you for your support and we'll catch you soon.